Dream to Reality Entertainment presents the Think Tank Podcast. Starring your host, he's a podcaster, photographer, filmographer, writer, conspiracy fascist, entrepreneur, explorer, color commentator, picky eater, beer ninja, secret agent, and the world's most influential humanoid, he is Ryan the Area Man. And now, coming to you pre-recorded from the very secretive D2R studios, deep undercover in the world's deepest, darkest, most secure, Hadron Collider and nuclear bomb tested and approved doomsday bunker, here is Ryan the Area Man. What's up everybody, I'm Ryan the Area Man, this is the Think Tank Podcast, um, Today's episode is about uh, the Ruby Ridge incident. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, or you can just wait a few minutes and uh, we're going to talk all about it. Um, before we uh, get into the episode about Ruby Ridge incident, uh, you do shopping online. Of course you do. Everybody does to some extent. Um, do us a favor if you do your shopping on Amazon and go to thearyaman.com. Click the sponsor tab in the Amazon banner. It takes you directly to Amazon. Buy whatever you're going to buy. It will cost you nothing extra. Amazon makes a profit off of what you buy. And then they take some of the, the percentage of their profit and throw it our way for uh, as a thanks for sending you, our wonderful listeners, to them to do your shopping. So you get your whatever you wanted for the normal amazing prices amazon gets the uh the business and uh it's a way to help sponsor this podcast uh so it's a it's a triple win there um also if you have a beard or know somebody that has a beard go to phoenixbeardoils.com just go there check it out you can read everything it's uh, it's pretty cool i use the beard oils um Dave uses the beard oils. Eric uses the beard oils from the Beard Friends podcast. Um, I'm, I know there's a bunch of people that do. I don't know anybody else on the network that actively using the beard oil. But uh, beards are in right now. So um, if you don't have a beard yourself, you probably know somebody that does. Um, there's always birthdays, holidays. I think Father's Day may be coming up here another month or so or maybe another week i don't know i don't know when this is coming out exactly so but anyways uh it's it's a it, it's a good gift you can give or get it for yourself um so phoenixbeardoils.com when you uh tons of fragrances to choose from once you decide on one or if you want to get the sampler pack you try them all um during checkout under the promo code d2r you're going to get 10 percent off your entire order and uh might just throw in a free sample for you. So, uh, yeah, go do it. All right. Now, before we get into the the meat of the episode where Dave and I discuss, I'm going to play you a, um, it's basically a, it's a audio, well, it's video, but you're only hearing the audio, obviously, um, of a produced 
production of the Ruby Ridge incident to kind of catch you up. So if you don't know, and you're like, I'm not Googling it, it'll catch you up, this 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 audio package. Then Dave and I will discuss it. And, uh, yeah, so just uh, have a listen and enjoy.
1971, Randy Weaver and Vicki Jordison are married in Fort Dodge, Iowa. All indications point them towards a standard Midwestern lifestyle, but the Weavers want something different. Well, back in 1980, I guess it was, we started thinking about moving. Uh, Sarah was going to go to school, public school, back in Iowa, and at the time we weren't real thrilled about that. At that time in Iowa, parents were barred from homeschooling their children. Angered by what they view as a corrupt government, and with their religious views growing more outside the mainstream, the Weavers decide to live a life of isolation in the mountains. We thought it'd be nice to move to mountains and raise a family, try to raise one out in the mountains and uh, teach kids at home. And we we're just going to do it. Prepared for about a year, got our bills paid off, sold the house, got all our ducks in a row, you might say. In August of 1983, the Weaver family leaves Iowa and the rest of society behind and heads west. We weren't sure exactly where we were going to go, but we figured in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. The Weavers finally settled in northern Idaho. The small logging village of Naples has always been fertile ground for people living outside the mainstream. First, as a destination for back-to-the-earth hippies. Then, in the 80s, the Weavers are part of a wave of right-wing survivalists. People up here care about each other and are tolerant of each other. I think they enjoy um, each other's differences. The Weavers pay just $5,000 for a rocky hilltop plot of land where they build this plywood cabin primarily out of scraps from lumberyards. And like many families in Naples, they raise animals and grow their own food. It was an idyllic life for the Weavers' children, Sarah, Sam, and the youngest, Rachel. This used to be a garden. I didn't realize how good I had it then, but I, I do now. I hope my kids get to experience it. You know, it, it sounds, it doesn't sound as fun as it really was, but I guess you'd have to grow up that way. As time passes, the Weavers' views move even further to the right. Their mistrust of the government increases, and the family's religious beliefs become steeped in thoughts of Armageddon and racism. You know, the word racist itself is a good word. It means proud of your race. He got told a few times that those the, the people just didn't want to hear his political views. He did come in and express his views about uh, blacks and Jews and, and anybody that, that was not uh, of the white race. You know, kind of gave me an idea that he was a little bit out of the mainstream. Get the heck out of here! But the Weavers are far from alone in their beliefs. Elsewhere in the Pacific Northwest, the white movement has become militant. A right-wing terrorist group calling itself The Order has gone on a campaign of violence, bombing banks, hijacking armored trucks, and even murdering a Jewish talk show host, all in the name of a new white homeland. After The Order is finally brought down, law enforcement quickly turns its attention to the Aryan nations, the neo-Nazi political group where the order had its genesis. So we were uh, very aggressive in our investigative efforts against these individuals and did everything we could to uh, infiltrate uh, the organization with uh, sources of information. 
The FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, as well as state and local law enforcement, were all converging on the Aryan nations. And in the wake of the recent terrorism in the Northwest, Aryan Nations headquarters, located just 70 miles from the Weaver cabin, is inundated with paid federal informants. One race, one vote, one nation, one people, one homeland, we're going to have it! Each summer, the Aryan Nations holds a weekend retreat for its members and possible recruits. It's three days of speakers, events, and Nazi pep rallies. They call it a World Congress. It's a gathering of white separatists, some of them supremacists, people of that philosophy, basically. And it's at one of these Congresses in 1986 where a federal informant posing as a gun-running biker and using the name Gus Magisano begins a four-year relationship with an unassuming attendee, Randy Weaver. I didn't have any idea the scrutiny that they were under by the federal government over the next few years, Magisano slowly builds Randy's trust and offers him $700 for two sawed-off shotguns. In October of 1989, after sawing off the barrels himself, Randy Weaver sells the guns to Magisano. But soon after, Randy abruptly ends the relationship after learning that Magisano is actually a snitch. The ATF is now without an informant. So, with his connections to the white movement, a clean military background, and an arrestable offense to use as leverage, the ATF looks to replace Magisano with Randy Weaver. Then I was approached by his bosses and said that they would bring federal firearms charges against me uh, unless I joined their team, basically. And I said, well, I was not going to join their team and become an informant, and therefore they just carried it on from there and it you know got blown out, out of proportion after that uh, if I had to join their team and become a snitch and start working for them none of this would have happened Vicky and I was going out we had a snowmobile down to the county road and right there on the blast bridge there's an old Chevy pickup with a cab over camper on it posing as tourists with an overheated truck ATF agents wait for Randy and Vicky to come and help. As soon as I had my hands on top of the radiator and my foot up on the bumper, this guy reaches around and grabs me right here and says, Freeze, federal agents! One full year after selling the illegal guns, Randy is finally arrested. During his arraignment, he is allowed to sign over his property as bond. But the part-time federal magistrate mistakenly tells him that if found guilty, his property will be taken away. And with their paranoid fears now seemingly proving true, the Weavers decide that rather than facing their destiny in court, their only option is to stay on the mountain. It wasn't just Dad. It was our whole family. And we didn't want him to go down because we figured they'd put him in jail for, you know, sawing off shotguns. And we'd rather, you know, stay on the mountain and live with our family, you know, happily than have it be torn apart. But I guess that backfired. Then we heard on the radio that the white supremacist Randy Weaver, blah, 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 didn't show up for court, but the U.S. Marshals will get their man. Once Randy fails to appear in court, he officially becomes a federal fugitive, and his case is turned over to the U.S. Marshals Service. But unlike most cases, the Marshals know exactly where Randy is, 
In fact, the weavers refuse to leave their hill, even for food. And it's during this time that they gain the support of a small group of local sympathizers. The first day I went, went up there, I need to know, did he or did he not um, saw the shotgun off? And um, he told me he didn't. Randy and Vicky turn their holdout from the law into a moral stand. They believe they are victims of religious and political persecution at the hands of an unjust government. I felt that Randy was being picked on because of his religious and his political views. And if it happened to Randy, it could have happened to me. Vicky begins a letter-writing campaign, making clear their beliefs to friends, family, and even law enforcement. She wrote one to uh, the prosecutor, maybe, and she called them uh, servants of the Queen of Babylon, which they are, they still are, the whole bunch of them. They're all servants of Babylon. She just made them all mad as hornets. I was proud of her. Still am. But the letters do little to help Randy's cause. And in April of 1991, the Marshal Service sends the case file, including Vicky's letters, to a psychologist. They are sent back a psychological profile, mistakenly referring to the Weavers as the Randalls, that paints an extreme picture of a paranoid family led by a fierce matriarch who are all ready and willing to fight to the death. As the months pass, the Weavers remain holed up on their remote mountaintop, and the marshals, hesitant to approach the cabin for fear of a possible confrontation, continue sending messages through friends. In October of 91, in a small guest shed on the Weaver property, Vicky gives birth to their fourth child, a baby girl named Elisheba. With winter approaching, the family prepares for the long months ahead. And with plenty of more pressing cases, the marshals leave the weavers alone on their hilltop. But on March 8, 1992, a full year since Randy's stand had begun, a nearby newspaper from Spokane, Washington, publishes a front-page article about a local fugitive snubbing his nose at the federal government. Within days, the story catches the eye of the national media. Randy Weaver and the tough talk coming from his remote mountain quickly becomes a thorn in the side of the marshal service. You put up a bluff. You ever played poker? Back in Washington, the U.S. Marshal Service is raising the stakes. Three weeks after the first story is printed, a special meeting is held at Marshall's headquarters. Based on neighbors' warnings, the now numerous news reports, and the growing mythology surrounding the Weavers, this remote cabin in the Idaho woods becomes the center of a complex surveillance and apprehension plan, dubbed Operation Northern Exposure. During the next five months, the Marshal Service records over 100 hours of surveillance footage from solar-powered cameras strategically planted around the Weaver property. It's a total invasion of privacy, you know. It's like if my brother would have found out some of the stuff I did, you know, I'd be embarrassed enough, let alone the government. The surveillance clearly shows that the Weavers are almost always armed and seem to be prepared for some kind of confrontation. The cameras also show the family now joined by Kevin Harris, a 23-year-old man from Spokane who had lived with the Weavers as a teenager and looks up to Randy as a father figure. As surveillance escalates, so does media coverage. The national press seems drawn to the Weaver story. Randy is billed as a local folk hero, and his plywood cabin is transformed into a mountaintop fortress. It became 
blatantly obvious they were being watched, but yet they kept waiting for someone to come to their door. In the early morning hours of August 21st, 1992, a team of six deputy U.S. Marshals, fully armed and outfitted with night vision goggles, hike up the Weaver's Hill to gather intelligence for the final phase of Operation Northern Exposure. After eight hours of surveying the terrain and watching the Weavers, their day is done and they begin to sneak back down the mountain. But for some reason, things don't proceed as planned. And in the hurried confusion, tragedy is about to strike. Our yellow lab striker was so worked up and excited that I, I figured it had to be probably a mountain lion or a bear. And Kevin and Sam come down around behind and followed me. And I said, well, I'm going to go down the logging road. I'll meet you down to Y. And they just following the dog uh, through the woods. Actually, I didn't know which way the dog was going to go for sure, but I wasn't going to go tramping off through the woods chasing the dog. Getting old and lazy, you know. 14-year-old Sam Weaver and Kevin Harris, 23, both armed and anticipating a wild animal, split off from Randy and chased the dog through the woods. And I got about maybe right to here, and some guy jumped from the right side of the Y there down, I don't know, 6, 8, 10 foot right down in the center there. I could tell he had a weapon, and he was fully camoed out. All I could see basically was his eyes, and I saw his mouth move. He yelled at me, said, freeze, Weaver. I said, screw you, and turned and started running back up the hill. And I was yelling all the time. I said, get home, boys, get home, boys, it's an ambush. The boys don't hear Randy, and they continue chasing the dog through the woods until they come upon the marshals. Sam Weaver's dog, Stryker reaches the marshals first. And I heard a bang. They shot the dog, they shot the dog. In the next few seconds, a flurry of panicked gunfire breaks out between the marshals and the boys. And amidst the chaos, a deputy U.S. marshal is shot and killed. I said, get home, get home, and Sam yells, I'm coming, Dad, and then there was a bunch more shooting, and... I took my shotgun, aimed it up in the air, and pulled the trigger, and straight up in the air trying to, I didn't know what to do. It was after that, or like his, everything was over with. With an officer down in unfamiliar territory, two of the deputies that were not in the gunfight run for nearly an hour through the woods and down the hill to the nearest neighbor, where they make a frantic call to 911. But the officers are not trapped. In fact, the marshals are completely unaware that the Weavers have also suffered a loss. I got home pretty shortly, and then uh, a little shortly after that, Kevin came walking home, and we said, "Where's Sam?" And said, "Sam's dead." Samuel Weaver, Randy and Vicky's 14-year-old son, was killed in the firefight. Shot once in the arm and once through the back. When Kevin said Sam's dead, why well, we just lost it. You know, we were up there and we were just, I mean, I was cussing and screaming and crying and combination. Nobody yelled at us, nobody shot at us. I figured these guys had split the scene. Randy, Vicky, and Kevin bring Sam back up the old logging road to their cabin, where they clean his wounds and place his body in the same shed where his baby sister, Elisheba, was born just ten months before. The last thing I remember about my brother was he had gone down to the garden. He had his own special radish patch. 
And um, I started to follow him down there, and he's all, go away, leave me alone, I want to be alone. And so there was an uprooted stump over here, and I went behind it, and I started crying, and he came over, and he apologized to me. And that was like, that was the first time he'd ever apologized to me for making me leave and making me cry, you know. And it was just, you know, that's, that's a great thing to remember, I guess. At the last moment that you remember your brothers, like that. Meanwhile, caught off guard and ill prepared to handle the federal situation, local law enforcement evacuates the neighbors and closes off the entire mountain. Because I didn't know what was going to happen, I had no idea this was something that I had not been uh, schooled in or prepared for in any way, shape, or form. The news of federal officers pinned down by gunfire deep in the Idaho woods was quickly reaching Washington. And the one thing the Marshal Service was trying so hard to avoid, an armed conflict with children, was now right in front of them. I got Good afternoon. A federal agent has been shot and killed in a confrontation with a fugitive in North Idaho. Weaver, a fugitive on a federal firearm. Whenever a federal officer is killed, government policy dictates that the matter be turned over immediately to the FBI. But on August 21st, 1992, the FBI had never heard of Ruby Ridge or Randy Weaver. All they knew was what they were hearing from the panicking marshals. Got a call from FBI headquarters. And he advised there had been a shooting up at Ruby Ridge and that the marshal had been killed. The marshals were pinned down. We basically had two functions going up there. One was the rescue of the marshals, and the other one was the uh, arrest of Randy Weaver. The situation, as presented, leads to the decision to call in the FBI's secret weapon, the Hostage Rescue Team, or HRT. Perhaps the most elite squad of snipers and assaulters in the world. And on the way out to Idaho, somewhere over the Great Plains, Dick Rogers, the head of the HRT, in consultation with FBI Assistant Director Larry Potts, agree that the possibility of entering an ongoing gunfight, combined with the intelligence they were receiving on the Weaver family, warranted extreme measures. They begin to draft special rules of engagement to give the snipers more freedom than the standard FBI shooting policy, an action unprecedented in FBI history. But the threat of a firefight has long since subsided, and the marshals are finally taken safely down the hill with the help of the Idaho State Police. I had a bad feeling about this situation before I even left home. But, you know, I'd been in 300-plus situations, and, and I, I remember now saying to my wife, well, I don't feel good about this one. And um, it turned out to be a, an accurate vibe. On Saturday morning, almost 24 hours after the initial firefight, as law enforcement from all over the region mobilized to the remote hilltop, a briefing is held with FBI negotiators, the HRT's tactical team, and on-scene commander, Gene Glenn. Gene Glenn is in charge, and in theory, the way the FBI manages is the negotiation team leader makes his recommendations, and the tactical team leader makes his recommendations, and the on-scene commander uh, 
makes his decision from there. But with the mere presence of Dick Rogers and the HRT, the question as to the seriousness of the situation seems to have already been answered. We kind of almost reverse psychology, you know. If they're here, it must be bad. Whereas if we send out a county team of five guys and a couple of negotiators, uh, you know, this is nothing, a barricaded subject. But if these guys are on scene, whoa, you know, this is something bad's about to happen here. Perhaps the most intimidating show of power is the FBI's use of the tank-like armored personnel carrier, or APC, the appearance of which begins to have a startling effect on the locals, typical Western individualists who don't take kindly to intimidation. Come on! Whatever it is, both sides are wrong. This is getting crazy. This is absolutely... Come on, get a grip, people! How many of you get one? Is there, huh? We want a head count! We want to know how many are still alive up there! As the day progresses, the FBI sets up a field headquarters in a small meadow just at the foot of the Weaver's Hill. And even though the marshals at this point are quite safe, and there has been no shooting at all for at least 24 hours, the build-up continues, and the rules of engagement somehow remain as part of the operations plan. In my 27 years as an agent, I've been involved in an awful lot of arrests, an awful lot of raids, and this is the first time we'd use rules of engagement. Dick Rogers uh, said that any adult male with a weapon uh, was a target. The FBI's standard deadly force policy allows agents to shoot only as a defensive measure, but the final rules of engagement that are faxed to Washington include the statement, if any adult male is observed with a weapon, deadly force can and should be employed. The guns which the Weavers thought would protect them were now the very things that made them targets. Washington approves the plan, and snipers are immediately dispatched to the hill to create a perimeter around the Weaver cabin. See how quiet it is right now? Just the way it was. As the snipers settle into position, the FBI prepares to approach the cabin, and the Weavers wait. The other two dogs started barking a little bit and whimpering, and... We was all in the house at the time, and I told everybody, I said, well, there's probably somebody out there approaching, and they want to talk to us. So I said, I'm going to go out and see if they want to, what they will get to say. Randy, his 16-year-old daughter, Sarah, and Kevin Harris leave the cabin to see if anyone said, is there. Well, nobody wants to talk. It's apparent they don't want to talk to us, so I come walking from the outcropping over there. When no one responds, Randy goes to check the guest shed where Sam's body has been laying since the morning before. Come around the shed and I switched the rifle to my left hand. And there was a latch up about this high on the door that you had to turn to open the door. I was going to go in and see Sam again. And just as I grabbed that latch, somebody shot me through this shoulder. After hearing the gunshot, Vicki Weaver comes to the front of the house and calls for Randy and the kids to get inside. Sarah started pushing me, get in the house, and she was pushing me. Kevin come down off the rock out, outcropping and joined in behind us. And one, two, three, we was all going like this to the house. As the three run for the cabin, the sniper holds his fire until they approach the door. Vicky was holding the door, standing right here holding the door. The door would have been right here. 
She's holding it like this with the lishaba. Bullet went through Vicky's head and killed her, and that same bullet went into Kevin's left arm and tore it up real bad, and then it split up. And the main bullet kept going in and lodged about that far from his heart. I didn't know where mom was hit, but I knew she was, something was wrong because she was down, and I just started, like, saying mom and crying. And that was a very chilling uh, moment when shots were fired. And uh, the uh, sniper observer team was, uh, wasn't sure what they hit. After 18 months of refusing to come down, any second chances Randy may have had are now gone. The confrontation the Weavers had predicted has come true. A U.S. Marshal has been killed. Sam's body is still in the shed. Randy and Kevin are both wounded, and Vicky now lay dead in the kitchen. When I turned around and saw him laying there, my, you know, I knew from then on we were dead meat. They were just murdering us now. And uh, you have to be there to understand the feeling. It was like I didn't even care anymore. Uh, I just wanted to kick the door down so I could take a couple with me. The first person to actually speak out to Randall Weaver was um, the head of the hostage rescue team, Dick Rogers. He gave a surrender demand? Yeah, he had an ultimatum. You know, come on out or else. We're going to start crushing your buildings and push your house down the cliff. And... We got no response from the captain at all. Words like bullets, you know, as they come out of your mouths, you can't call them back. Makes it makes an ultimatum like that. You can't call it back. Meanwhile, three miles from the cabin where law enforcement has closed the road, locals have started to gather in protest to what they see as an outlandish show of force on the part of the federal government. We need some warm bodies. You into it? Yeah, they were real concerned. You know, what's going on in my neighborhood? Why, why have all these armed men suddenly descended into my community? It's a shock. Yeah, you're all bad with all your guns. Are you but the people at the roadblock, as well as law enforcement, are still unaware of the tragedy that has just transpired on the ridge above. Randy Weaver has told friends all he wants is to be left alone. But with the sudden appearance of military hardware like this, his one-man stand against the law is suddenly taking on the appearance of a full-blown war. We need this. For one man, his wife, and his kids, in a cabin? On day three of the standoff, with more troops still arriving, earth-moving equipment is brought in to widen the roads and build a new bridge, allowing larger trucks and even more equipment up the mountain. The uh, command post area was taking on kind of a little community uh, appearance. It was growing very rapidly, and it seemed like new people were showing up all the time. It was a busy little place. Some people were getting ready to go to work. Some people were just getting off of work. Other people were uh, playing horseshoes or jogging or taking a shower. The uh, only thing we didn't have was a movie theater. 
Don Kasulis was part of an FBI SWAT team from Denver, Colorado. They were one of the few units at Ruby Ridge that spoke out against the special rules of engagement. I remember I just said, uh, that's ridiculous, or that's crazy. Uh, and that's, we kind of talked about it, and we, were, we decided we weren't going to go by those rules. Don't you think we ought to consider when we can shoot and when we can't? Shouldn't that be, like, foremost in our minds? It apparently wasn't. The FBI uses a remote-controlled robot to place a phone near the weaver's door. Speaking through the phone, the negotiations team attempts to establish a dialogue. And even though their initial attempts fail, to the negotiators, the situation is simple. As far as I'm concerned, it's an easy barricade sitting on top of a mountain. Why don't we just sit here and wait? Everything ran into one day for me. I don't remember night from day, and I just remember I took care of Alicia most of the time. I remember going into the pantry to get food. And there was blood all over the floor. The next big thing we heard was like track vehicle coming in the yard. And we heard a lot of scrunching and crashing and while they were running over the woodshed. And I told the kids that, you know, they're going to push the house over. That's what I thought they were going to do. The FBI uses the APC to clear out the area and gain control of the property. But it comes to a stop just before the cash shed. For some reason, one of the HRT guys just uh, jumped out of the APC out the back and opened up this door. And that's when they discovered Sam's body. Sam's body had been lying in the shed for two days. At that point, the possibility that any of the weavers might have been hurt had not even been considered. We had no information that he'd even been shot at. So these are all things that happen, and uh, you can have all the control of things. You can control property high ground and everything but people's minds and we didn't know what they were thinking because we couldn't understand their losses and that changed everything the discovery of Sam's death sends a shockwave through law enforcement and with tension running high down at the roadblock, the FBI decides to wait until daylight to break the news. Federal officials have just announced Randy Weaver's 13-year-old son died during the initial shootout Friday. Protesters and neighbors are apparently not taking the news well. Are you proud of yourself? Are you proud of yourself? When they discovered Sam's body, it kind of ratcheted up that feeling of being in some kind of out-of-control tragedy. On Tuesday, day five of the standoff, the FBI finally investigates the crime scene. They quickly learn that what the marshals had been reporting may have been greatly exaggerated. You know, if you're pinned down for 12 hours, 
there's got to be several hundred rounds that have been fired, maybe several thousand rounds to pin down that many people. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't find the, uh, the shell casings. We didn't find the rounds. Found a few. The special rules of engagement, which are still officially in place, are finally called off. On Wednesday, August 26th, on the other side of the country, in Quincy, Massachusetts, services are held for U.S. Deputy Marshal William Deegan, who was killed in the same shootout that killed Sam. Back in Idaho, the roadblock protest has turned into an around-the-clock vigil. As word spreads, the tone of the roadblock changes. The locals are joined by neo-Nazis and skinheads who have come from all over the country to show their support for the weavers and their beliefs. We had heard on the local news that there were people gathering at the roadblock, which felt good. If they started shooting us up and everything, well, the people down at the roadblock would have known something was wrong. That afternoon, Randy and Kevin dictate a note to Sarah, detailing exactly what they remember in case they don't make it off the mountain. Is there any agent here that represents Gene Glenn from the Federal Bureau of Investigation? The standoff in Naples, Idaho has taken an unusual turn. Bo Greitz, a retired Army colonel renowned for his work on behalf of U.S. soldiers missing in action, performed what he calls a citizen's arrest on four top We as citizens of the United States do hereby present this citizen's arrest warrant. And the whole idea was I wasn't going to arrest the governor of Idaho. I wanted action. I wanted somebody to listen to me. I wanted somebody to let me through so I could go up to the top of the ridge, not be dressed in Kevlar, carrying a submachine gun, so that maybe Weaver would talk to me. See yourself, sir. Then one day they said that Colonel Bo Greitz had showed up at the roadblock down below, and the next time they hollered at me, I hollered back and I told him, I said, I'll talk to Bo Greitz. The FBI lets Bo Greitz, a Green Beret commander and right-wing icon, pass the roadblock to talk to Randy, even though they know he's a risk. Especially knowing his... Um, his political stance and his connection to some of these right-wingers. Sure, it was riskier. And, uh, you know, it, this was no good. I couldn't talk to Weaver. So I jumped off the tank, and uh, I came right over here. I said, Weaver, this is Bo Greitz. And uh, I saw his face just flash right there in the window of the bathroom. Bo accomplished more during that first evening than all the negotiation had from the beginning to that point. And so uh, that was a positive thing. The, the negative of Bo's uh, dialogue was we found out a lot of things uh, that were kind of shocking. And then is when he told me about Vicky, and I was shocked. I've never been shocked by any single event in my 21 years as I, as I was by that one sentence uttered by Randall Weaver. Vicky's been killed. I've been shot, and Kevin's been shot. Randy's in good health. Unfortunately, Vicky is dead. Karen, uh, the news earlier tonight, uh, just a few moments ago, that Vicky Weaver, the wife of Randall Weaver, has been shot and killed. She was shot and killed last Saturday and has been dead for six days. It's a very volatile situation, although it appears to be quiet at this moment. Yes, this will be a tense night on the roadblock. It never entered our mind that he, she was anything but uh, an active person in the uh, cabin up there. So uh, 
That was a tough night. Never will you take another woman down. Never. We're going to war. A lot of anger. Just hoping for daylight and hoping for something better. This morning began very hopeful after last night's very tragic news that uh, Vicki Weaver had been killed. In fact, there was word buzzing through all quarters that this might indeed be the big day. On day nine of the standoff, Bogreitz returns at dawn to keep the dialogue going, and Randy Weaver makes sure that Bo understands what actually happened. As the Weavers tell Bo their story, they learn that one of their biggest fears was true. The robot was setting. Uh, right in front, right up against, and right in front of the door. The robot had a claw, and it had a 12-gauge shotgun that was pointed right uh, in the door. That's right. The robot did have a, uh, a weapon. I forget what it was, a shotgun or something. Uh, but uh, once again, as far as I know, that was an oversight. The first real human being in all this heartbreak and trauma and tragedy to come in there to Randy was Jackie. The next thing I knew, Bo was approaching me about going up, and it just happened before I knew it. The FBI allows Jackie Brown, a friend of Vicky's who has been at the roadblock since the beginning, to go up and help Bo with negotiations. Randy and the girls immediately allow Jackie in. She is the first person inside the cabin since she had visited Vicky a few days before the standoff. It wasn't a happy place anymore. It had already been proven that if they stuck their head out, they'd be shot. But there's no doubt about that at that point. They believed they were going to die there, sure. Not yet ready to give up their fight, the Weavers give Jackie a list of supplies they need and the note they had written a few days before. That was the biggest and most important thing to us, to me anyway, even if they killed us after that, our side of the story got out, because at that point I still don't think we were going to get out alive. On day 10, Bo returns to the cabin with one objective, to get Kevin Harris out. In the days since the shooting, Kevin's wound had become badly infected and had put him close to death. I said, Weaver, if I have anything to do with this, if I can testify before the jury, I said, if I, if I were on the jury, you'd fry if you let that boy die in here. At 1.47 p.m., Kevin Harris finally surrenders. His wounds are immediately treated at a field medical tent before being flown directly to a Spokane hospital. On that same day, Jackie returns with the donated food and supplies. She and Bo take care of the next order of business, removing Vicky's body. But I picked her up right here, and so as I walked to carry her out, uh, gosh, they just were wailing. I've never heard uh, such, and I've been around people that have endured, families that have endured death too much. They were just wailing and crying, and they were saying the same thing, Bo, 
please, please don't let our mama's body touch the ground. Dick Rogers was standing there with a group of FBI agents, and I simply stated I needed something to clean with. They had shut the water off, and they handed me two five-gallon buckets of water and towels and paper towels, and I went back in the cabin and cleaned. Jackie Brown is allowed to clean the kitchen, unwittingly destroying evidence that could potentially damage the FBI. Any time that a crime scene is disturbed, there's evidence that's lost. And uh, when Vicki Weaver's blood was cleaned up, uh, there had to be some loss of evidence. But it was just something that had to be done. That night, even with all the progress being made, the HRT begins to show signs that they are getting restless. Dick Rogers uh, told me, if you cannot get them out by noon, we are taking them out. You know, we've already done so many incredibly stupid things. This is just one more incredibly stupid thing. On the morning of the 11th day, no one in the vigil knew the pressure that Bo was under to get Randy and the girls out safely. Randy said, Bo, is that you? And I said, yes, it is, Weaver. And then he said what I knew he was going to say. He said, we have prayed all night, Bo, the girls and I. He said, we have decided that they are going to have to kill us just like they killed our mama and our little brother. Bo Greitz has no more time to appease the family. He has to get the Weavers out right then and there. He said, Weaver, tonight's the night. They're coming after you. If you don't come out, you got to come out now or you're going to be dead and all this. And by this time, I had a feeling that maybe we could come out without getting shot. And so I said, this is good, girls. we got to go now. You know, and uh, so we did. I had Randy Weaver with an iron grip. And I looked over, and Randy had Elisheba. And by God, we walked down that hill. And his little girls, I think, while they were terrified, I think they honestly began to think that maybe they wouldn't be shot down. And God, that's what you're supposed to think in America for crying out loud. Two words it seems that all of us have been waiting to hear. It's over. An 11-day standoff that took three lives has now ended with the surrender of Randy Weaver. Randy is taken into custody and immediately flown by helicopter to medical attention before being taken to jail in Boise by private jet. It is the first time he's ever flown. Both Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris are charged with murder and conspiracy. After a three-month trial, Kevin Harris is found not guilty on all charges and released a free man. Randy is found not guilty of all but the original failure to appear charge, for which he serves an additional six months in jail. If I could, you know, do over and then I could read the guy's mind, I wouldn't have sold him those guns. But as far as anything else concerned, no, I'd do it again. In 1994, the Weaver family files a civil suit, and one year later, the federal government settles for $3.1 million. Nobody came out of Ruby Rates looking good. I think in the, in, to a sense, everybody there was a victim. We fouled up in front of the entire world, and it should never have happened. And I think it was just a really disappointing day for the FBI. The FBI later admits to covering up facts during the court case, and the rules of engagement are deemed unconstitutional.
What's up, Dave? Well, hello. Um, we're gonna get a little white supremacy today. Hitler, white power. See, you know, fuck all the Jews. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm just trying to fit the narrative of the story. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> white lives matter. White only, lives only matter. white lives matter. Whoa! <laughs> I do not condone. <laughs> Comments made my day right now. I'm just playing the part, dude. No, it's all good. Um, I don't really truly believe that. No. But the, that's the topic of the day today. Ruby Ridge. Everybody remembers Ruby Ridge. She was hot. Uh, no, not the porn star. Oh, 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 oh. I wonder, is there a porn star named <laughs> I don't Ruby know. Ridge? I don't know. I don't really know. God damn it. <laughs> i got to find out now. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I, you know, I got to... What the fuck is that? This is where you go to find a, a porn star. Really? It's named Ruby Ridge. No suggestion. I didn't know that was a... If you put an actual porn star's name here, it would pop up. So, for instance, you type in Ruby, and these are here's our options. Ruby Knox, Ruby Hayes, Ruby Jewel, Rubber Ruby, Ruby Smart, Ruby Flame, Ruby Summers, Sylvia Ruby. Only 13 people look for her. Let's go with Ruby Knox. She's the f- top porn star with that name. Sorry. That's my goddamn phone. Fucking A. Okay, I clicked on it. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. What's going on? Here? It's waiting. It says. Oh yeah, it's it's thinking. Uh, whoever Ruby Knox is, but there's no. Hey, ladies, you want to <laughs> get in the porn star? <laughs> you you want to go the whole white supremacisty? You want that as your like uh, fan base? Go with Ruby Ridge. I don't recommend that. She looks black. Yeah, she doesn't look Ruby at all. Ruby what what does this say? What what do we got here? Uh, I'm trying to find. Because that's a really shitty picture. Let's click on that and see. Nothing happened. Black or... Wow, that's a lot of a lot of porn. I've never heard of this website. You can go to her biography. And you can get all the details about her. It has her her babe name, Ruby Knox. She's a porn star. Professional. She's not star. doing feature dancing. She has an official website. She's Caucasian. She didn't look. She was very tan. So then. Well, she's from San Fran. Uh, yeah, San Francisco, California. She, her date of birth, June 29, eighty five. Thirty one years old. She's, she's got cancer. She's got cancer. <laughs> <laughs> no, she is a cancer. Uh, oh. Her her aliases: Rachel Ro- uh, Rochelle Knox and Hazel Horny Hose. Hazel Horny Hose. Uh, her eye color is hazel. Hair color is brown. She's five foot four, hundred and twelve pounds. Her measurements, because everybody loves these, 34B, 23-32. She does not have fake boobs. She's currently active. Uh, she started in 2005. She's been in the business for 12 years. She has eight. She was nine, she 19 says. when she started. Yeah. They always start that age, roughly. Uh, she has a star in her left hip and a rose behind her right ear for tattoos. She has a navel piercing. Um, she's a Native American. That's why she's darker complexion. Mm-hmm. Has an American slash Russian heritage. Nice. Good for her. She has a Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, and Instagram. She says MySpace. What a homo. Wow, MySpace.com slash Ruby Knox, if you're interested. Wow. Anyways. All right, then. So. That wasn't what we came to talk about. No. We're not we're talking about <laughs> Ruby Ridge. Okay. What was this day? Ruby Ridge was a thing yeah it was uh to be fair we just played a video for everybody well not a video we watched the video yeah the listeners listened to the video yeah and now we're going to talk about it what our take was on it yeah 
So this was an 11-day siege near Naples, Idaho, beginning August 21st, 1992, between Randy Weaver, members of his immediate family, family friend Kevin Harris, and agents of the U.S. Marshal Service and the hostage rescue team of the FBI. 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 In So this is what's crazy. So, like, for me... Um, these, Randy Weaver and his family, they, because you couldn't do homeschooling in the state that they lived in, or where where, did they come from? Whatever state that they they were, they were, they were at, they moved there because they kind of, well, for one, they didn't agree with the government and their kind of like whole thing. They wanted to do homeschooling, Mm -hmm. but whatever state they were in, they, it wasn't legal or they wasn't allowed at the time. So they moved there, and they're, we're, we're going to teach our kids what we want them to be taught, our curriculum, and we kind of just want to be off the grid, right? as current day speak. Yeah. Um, and apparently the FBI had a fucking issue with this. Well, he was, he was known to be um, part of the white supremacist uh, Aryan Nation. He was he was a member of the Aryan Nation, and he sold uh, um, sawed off shack. Well, no, no, he didn't, no, he was he was uh, sought out by the ATF to illegally. He was paid right. to illegally saw off shotguns, which made them an illegal. He didn't know shotgun. it was the ATF. No, he was an undercover, undercover agent. Yeah, right. it was a sting they were trying to get. Basically, what it seemed to me was they were trying to get someone. To flip and and to skin like basically out the entire Aryan nation for all the nastiness right. that they have done. So they basically set him up yep. to to do this for money. Mm-hmm. Then say, all right, we'll take you in, or you can wear a wire. Give us all, yeah, wear yeah. a wire, go in undercover, and yeah. basically be an informant. Yeah, that's what they wanted to do. And, from my take, and Randy was like, "Fuck no." Yeah, he's like, "I ain't having none of that shit." No. And then so they arrested him. And then they set a date for him to show up in court, and he didn't show up. Yeah, he's like, no. And that's when all this shit started, basically. Yeah, yeah. They went to serve a no-knock warrant, um, but they were they were worried to actually do that because he had. They knew he had a shit ton of guns. Like all the family members knew how to shoot, and he was like, "Hell no, we ain't going." And to get, I mean, he was way, way up in the woods. Like it was. On there top was, of a mountain. Yeah, there was like, literally no way for them to get up there without him knowing, and them they were worried about them taking on fire. They didn't want a firefight going on because of the kids. Um, so basically, and this is back in the day before they started doing all the no-knock search warrants, and they didn't give a shit back then of collateral damage. They were just going to, you know, back nowadays, they don't give a fuck, they'll do whatever they have to. Uh, back then, they didn't. They were very politically correct, so to speak. And so, yeah, they were, like, trying to negotiate with him, and he wasn't having any of that. And uh, they were they were basically scared to go in, and they didn't know what to do. Like he wasn't answering the phone, he wasn't talking to him, he wouldn't negotiate. Nothing. Like it was just quiet. You know, what did you say? It was twelve days total. Eleven. Eleven days siege. What? Like one of the craziest parts was then when they, so they tried. They sent uh, these agents with like night vision goggles mm-hmm. to sneak up in the middle of, or like late at night or something. Yeah, it was, I think it was sneak actually up. early, early, early morning. Yeah, and they fucking. Uh, with their, you know, going through woods and stuff, there's branches and shit on the ground. As you're walking, the, the leaves shuffling, cracking of whatever, mm-hmm. their dog... Yeah, the dog heard it. ...heard something, and, and they they thought it was, like, maybe a mountain lion or something. So they went, like, after the dog, 
And well, there was that, and also I've, I've seen interviews where they knew it was their dog, and they wanted to quiet the dog down. They were just trying to get to the dog to no, quiet it. No, the cops were. Yeah, the cops. I'm talking I'm ta- I'm ta- I was talking about the family. Oh, yeah, okay, Followed okay. the dog to oh, see yeah. what the dog yeah. was going crazy about. So they're, the, the weavers ran after the dog. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Marshals or whatever were trying to quiet the dog. Right, because they didn't want to be seen or found out. They didn't know what was going to happen if they were confronted by this weaver family. Right. And, uh, well, shootout happens. Yeah, well, basically what what I understand to be happening, and, and now this is just the, the government side of things, because um, obviously we'll talk about the other family's version, but the original story, official story, if you will, uh, is that the uh, the kid opened fire um, on the family. 14-year-old boy. Yeah, the boy. Uh, opened fire on the, on the ATF and USF marshals, or whoever, we'll say the government, we'll, we'll say the so police. Fair, they didn't know who the fuck that was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they shot at each other, uh, and during this little firefight, the young boy died, the dog died. Um, yeah, the dog and the boy. And a police officer died as well Yeah, in this whole whole ordeal. Um, and then everybody kind of retreated back to their sides, you know, the wounded, or the dead cop and the rest of the cops got back to the, like, mile and a half down the road where they had their little camp set up. And they the, they left the boy and the dog there. The Weaver family went back to the house. Uh, Randy, we, Randy, right? Yeah. yeah. Randy told his wife, he's like, you know, they, they killed her son. They killed her son. Well, and they eventually went back and got the boy, and then brought him to the shed. Right. And but here's the thing: the U.S. Marshals didn't know they killed the kid. Correct. Or well, I mean, I have to assume they killed the dog because if you shoot the, I don't know. I don't think it doesn't seem like they knew they killed the dog or the kid. Yeah, they didn't know. All they knew is their guy. They was didn't shot. know this till a few days later. Right. Uh, when they started moving in closer, mm-hmm. and they had more forces there, tanks and all this shit. Yeah. That's when they discovered, it, when they were about to bulldoze the shed, the guy that was bulldozing just happened to get off the bulldozer, go and open the shed, and found the kid there. Well, here, here's the U.S. Marshals and the FBI moving in without any knowledge of where this family's mindset is, mm-hmm. because they don't even realize they killed this family's kid. So right. now, this family, you can only imagine if... if it's war. Yeah, this point, you killed yeah. our kid. Yeah, we're gonna kill you because you of killed our kid because yeah. of some fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Right, right. Now the family's version. Now I've watched the daughter who's still alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Her version is um, the dog ran after you know the noise, wanted to see what was going on. The son went after. Um, the dog kept barking. He he had hold of the dog because uh, he caught up to the dog. He had hold of it, and the dog was just barking, and he was trying to see what was going on. Uh, the cops at that time. <laughs> supposedly identified themselves as cops and there were some words exchanged the cop that was killed i don't remember his name offhand but he shot and killed the guy's dog the kid's dog kid got pissed opened fire on the police officer which shot and killed him and then the fire fight broke out uh so the alleged story is that the police shot the cop for or shot the dog first which then is the reason why the kid opened fire, which turned Randy and Kevin. And that's the daughter's. That's the daughter's story. version. Yeah. No, she wasn't even there. She's just going off of what Randy Weaver told her. Um, what so, do you believe? Um, I could totally believe both sides, man. Like I totally believe the cops probably shot the dog to get the dog shut up, and they kind of just they probably shot the dog before the kid got there. The kid said, "Oh my God, you killed my dog! I'm gonna fucking kill you!" and, and went off on him. I could see that. I could see... I don't necessarily think the police... See, the part that I don't quite buy is that they identified themselves. Because I don't believe a 14-year-old kid, regardless of what brainwashing the dad may or may not mm-hmm. have done, 
is going to open fire on a cop if the cop's identifying himself. I think if, if for this kid, if I'm chasing the dog, because the dog's going after something, I'm already thinking, suspecting that it's not a cop, but either a bear or something, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. kind of animal that's why the dog's riled up. So I'm already ready as a as a kid that's been trained to shoot. I'm ready because whatever this is, the dog's freaking out. So I'm probably going to have to shoot whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second the dog gets shot, it starts shooting in that direction. I don't think there was, U.S. Marshal, I, I, bullshit. Yeah. I, I don't, don't buy that for a second. I just don't. Okay. Whoever's fucking story that was, if, it, if they both agreed that that was the story, U.S. Marshal's FBI and the daughter, I don't buy it. Because I don't think the kid would be like, you know, just keep mm-hmm. shooting. I think the kid would be like, Okay. Right, and and we don't know if the dad was already there, too, and the dad started first, and the kid just helped. Nobody knows. You know what I mean? Nobody knows really what happened. From what I remember, is the the dad was following behind, Mm -hmm. like quite a ways behind, but behind, and when the shooting started, he he, he stopped and turned around and said everybody retreat back to the house once the shooting started like almost as if the cops were shooting at them mm-hmm. because they were running towards the cops or marshals or right, fbi right, or whatever right. so but the but the boy didn't retreat quick enough right and obviously the dog wasn't going to it's a fucking animal I mean, right right uh so i don't it's just weird but so that whole thing either, either way it's quite unnecessary the now i don't know try to look at from both sides both sides if i'm the fbi and i think this man what do you have uh, a newborn baby mm-hmm. six months old or something like that uh, a, a boy who's 14 a daughter who is a little bit younger than yeah, that. I think she was like eight or nine or yeah. something maybe yeah a wife and then at least one friend, friend that we know of yeah. one friend okay that's five people Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the daughter's probably not shooting a gun, and neither is the newborn baby. Too young. Right, so, right. you have Randy, his friend Kevin, and the wife. And possibly the son, because they didn't right. know they killed the son. Right. And a dog. So, you have four people that can shoot a gun. A dog that can bite you. A dog that can bite you. And they don't know at that point if Kevin's got a dog. A newborn a baby dog. and a daughter mm-hmm. that probably aren't going to do anything. All right. So mm-hmm. Tops, you got, you got six humans... Two completely worthless, mm-hmm. and a dog. All right, you need tanks. You need all this shit. It's it's excessive. Regardless of yeah. of how much guns they may have, their force was excessive for what was there. Now, if there was an army of people up mm-hmm. there, now if he had tanks and RPGs yeah. and shit, I could totally see yeah. bringing a tank. But yeah, he. Or did they not know? I don't think they knew had, what all he had. But regardless, you don't need fucking tanks. No, mean, no. Unless they, like I said, unless they knew he had a tank or some type of other ATV military thing, like a Hummer yeah. or some shit that he bought up black market or some shit. Yeah. Well, and it's but, not like the house that he had built there was a fortress. It was built out of plywood. Yeah, yeah, dude. It was and, a, and scrap yeah. lumber. Yeah, it was a sh- it's shitty ass. Clear. Shot. So really, any kind of bullet's pretty much going to go through that. 
threw it out the other side. Yeah, you know, it's not like he had fucking steel fortress built that was ready to take on. Right, you know, right. It's not a not a war bunker where he can take a fucking fallout shelter type shit. Yeah. You know, um, but then so then no, what I'm really confused about is where the wife died. You know, yeah, dude. That they they, had, they brought in snipers. Okay, and put them up on different other mountains around there, mm-hmm. where they had visual of the house from afar, and they were out just one day. I think they were like doing stuff around, but they all were at this point. It was they have video of them moving about their property, but they all had guns. They all had guns, right? They had like a rifle or right. something on right. them. Which at this point, if you know what's happening down below, you just had your kid killed a day or so before. You would, because mm-hmm. you don't know what the fuck, you know. Right, right. But you're also not maybe expecting there to be snipers hiding in the fucking trees and shit around the, mm-hmm. or whatever. So it seems like, from what I remember, is that they were out doing stuff around the fucking uh, property. Property. And uh, it seemed like Randy was headed into... Uh, barn or something that he had up there or another shutter or something and just as he, he i remember he, he as he reached up to unlatch the thing for the door he got like shot like in the shoulder and at that point he started like yelling everybody back in the house and as his wife so it was his wife had daughter in front of her and was holding she, the baby and and hold and she was holding was the baby. She? Yeah, because in the interview with the daughter, she said the mom was holding the baby. Okay. And then the friend was, Kevin, was behind the wife as and, and rushing back to the house. And just as she was about to enter the house, a fucking bullet hits her. It, it goes through Kevin and in through his, like, shoulder and into the wife's head, which instantly killed her. Yeah. Because cause it it's weird, both Randy and Kevin had shoulder wounds from bullets, mm-hmm. not fatal, but they both had shoulder wounds from bullets, but it went through Kevin into the wife's head. So she was, boom, and obviously she had the baby. Yeah. So she's falling down. She fell, yeah, and the daughter talks about how she, she didn't hear the shot, but she got, when they hit the threshold, she just got... Like, just something just exploded all over her. Yeah. And she didn't realize until after she had seen her mom laying there with the baby, still in her hand, that it was her mom's brain matter and face and head and blood and guts and shit on her head. And she freaked. Once again, and it's not like the Weavers were, you know, getting a cannon ready to... Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. Like, they were running away. You know what I mean? Like, they were running into their house. They weren't posing a threat. They weren't fire. They weren't firing on the the military or the right. ATF or and whoever. To be fair, if the wife was holding the baby, it's highly unlikely she was holding a gun. It was yeah. probably Randy and Kevin with with the guns. The boy's dead. Yeah. Once again, the daughter's not going to, and neither is the newborn. Yeah. So you're firing at people that are unarmed mm-hmm. on top of it, mm-hmm. and you have no valid reason. I, I, all the shit that I watched, there was no valid reason to have yeah. shot them at no. those moments. No, exactly. Like excessive like, force. Like look at fucking like Charlie Manson. They didn't kill him or shoot at him or shit, but he right. had way more fucked up shit. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They and they're my biggest thing. They shot people in the fucking back. Like when they're running. Away. Yeah. Like, how fucking bullshit is that? Like and. and, and as far as I'm aware, they're supposed to be shooting at them when they'd be shooting upon. You know, don't fire until fired upon type of fucking right. thing. Don't shoot unless there's an imminent threat. They're running into their house.
house. Well, th- they sound like away, they were just moving about their own property, though. Yeah, that too. It's not like yeah. they were doing anything that was could have been right. construed as suspicious or threatening. Right, malicious to them. acts. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like they're sitting there making a bomb or right, right, whatever. Right, they're know? not viewing out, you know, spewing out all this hate speech about how they're going to kill all the cops and yeah. shit. Like, yeah, it, it, the whole thing was just a giant clusterfuck, man. Should have never happened. And the fucked up thing about it is Randy Weaver, the guy who started it, didn't get killed. You know, his young son got killed and his wife got killed for his fucking mistakes, for shit that he did. Which, granted, I, I don't think that anyone should be part of the Aryan Nation. Someone shouldn't be all white supremacy, kill the blacks. I don't, I don't agree with any of that shit. Like, we're all people, no matter who you are, where you come from. We're all fucking humans. You know, yeah. life sucks. We all we're all in it together, regardless. You know, so I don't think it was right. I think yeah, a sec- way way excessive force, man. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's something that should never happened. You know, we both were really young when this happened, so I don't. Uh, until we started watching it, I didn't remember any of it. I mean, you were probably like one, probably. No, right. I, I, what was the timeline? It was nine. I think it was from ninety. 90- Four or five, something like that. Ninety-two. No, yeah, ninety-two. Well, I'll clarify because we kind of got few things a little off. Okay, all right. For one, the daughter was sixteen years old. I thought not eight or nine. Okay. So I mean, I guess she could have been of age too. Okay, so this is this is where we got got a good. All right, let's just read this. Before the negotiators arrived at the cabin, FBI sniper Lon Horiuchi, Horuchi, from a position of over two hundred yards. North and above the Weaver cabin, shot and wounded Randy Weaver in the back with the bullet exiting his right armpit while he was lifting the latch on the shed to visit the body of his dead son. At this point, they still don't know that there's a dead kid in there. Right, right. Uh, the sniper testified at the later at, at, at the later trial that he had his put, his put his crosshairs on Weaver's spine, but Weaver moved at the last second. So he's aiming for the spine. Yeah. He's trying to... Kill him. Kill him and mobilize him. Mm-hmm. Then as Weaver, his 16-year-old daughter Sarah, and Harris, which is Kevin Harris, ran back toward the house, Haruchi fired a second bullet, killing Vicky Weaver, and wounded Harris in the chest. For some reason, it seems like he got hit in the shoulder, but yeah. I don't know. It says chest. Wick- Vicky Weaver was standing behind the door through which Harris was entering the house. So the wife and daughter had already got into the house. Mm-hmm. Harris, the, I, I knew he was behind them, so he must have been approaching the door. Went through Weaver, or through Weaver, or through Harris, through the door, and killed and her. killed her. Uh, See, she and was she was old. holding a ten-month-old baby, Elishaba, in her arms. Uh, here's the constitutionality of the second shot. The RRTF report to the Department of Justice Office of Professional Responsibility of June 1994 stated unequivocally in its conclusion uh, that the rules that allowed the second shot to have taken place did not satisfy constitutional standards for legal use of deadly force. The 1996 report of the U.S. Senate and Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Terrorism, Technology, and Government Information, Arlen Specter, concurred with Senator Dianne Feinstein, Feinstein. Uh, Feinstein uh, dissenting. The RRTF report also found the lack of a request to surrender inexcusable since Harris and the two Weavers were not an imminent threat reported as running for cover without returning fire. That's what I said. Yeah. The task force I, I also exact words. Yeah, specifically blamed Haruchi for firing through the door, not knowing whether someone was on the other side of it. While controversy exists as to who is responsible for approving the ROE that were being followed by the FBI sniper, the task force also condemned the rules of engagement that allowed 
shots to be fired without request for surrender. So, yeah, if they were firing back, I could understand. Mm -hmm. But they were retreating. And they had guns. They could have. But they didn't. Yep, they were just running back into the house. All excessive force. The whole thing... So did homeboy Nagasaki Huguruchi, did he go to jail then? Was he oh, highly court-martialed? Because they right me, there said that he was not... Uh, let me look it up. Yeah. Nagasaki Haruchi Juki Sugaduki. What was his name? Uh, Harushi. What was the first name? I remember the last name, but... <laughs> I want to look up... Hang on. Right there. Lon. Lon. I was thinking Ron. That's close. Yeah. To Ron... With an O. Oh, I did put wrong. I typed wrong. I meant one. Jesus Christ. So it was an Asian dude, huh? Yeah, look at him. Hawaii. Ha- Hawaii. Um, Ruchi was charged with manslaughter for the death of Vicky Weaver Uberidge, but the charges were later dropped. So he was charged for, with manslaughter. N- never uh, had to face anything for it. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. The Ninth Circuit granted Boundary County's motion to dismiss the case against Haruchi on September 14, 2001. Whoa, three days after 9-11 happened. It's interesting. When nobody was fucking focused on it. I'm telling you, a lot of shit happened in those days right after that. Mm -hmm. So that was one way to get it through, and nobody would fucking notice it, and nobody would bitch about it. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Glad we looked that up. Yeah. Way to go, Nakasaki yeah, Haruchi. They did, none of the shit that I watched said anything about that. No, nothing mm-hmm. followed up on the Haruchi yeah. piece of it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, then they get uh, what was the guy's name that they finally agree? Uh, Bo Gritz. Um, Bo Gritz was the guy that the Weavers said they would they would talk to him. Yep. And uh, that's because they were they liked eating grits. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, allegedly. Uh, anyways, they, so they had Gritz, uh, I think they talked to him a few times on the phone, and then they finally brought him up, up to, to the, see him, yep. up to see them, and that's when Gritz basically convinced Randy and Kevin, because the daughter, I mean, it was the daughter and the baby at this point, mm-hmm. and Randy and Kevin, and everybody else was dead. Right. Uh, he convinced them, this is your time, you be either come out now, and, and you, no more gunfire is going to happen or you're probably not going to walk away from this they're just they're going to basically they're going to keep picking you off one by one basically yeah and and they agreed came down the mountain surrendered Randy Weaver and his daughter surrendered the next day both Harris and Randy Weaver were arrested Weaver's daughters were released to the custody of their relatives although some consideration was given to charging Sarah who was 16 as an adult but She's talking sixteen. What do you? What she? She didn't do anything. Yeah, I don't remember her how firing any shots back any, at how all. How could you charge her with anything? And it wasn't her decision. And, and what, you think she's just going to walk down the mountain and say, "I surrender"? No, her fucking dad's keeping her. Yeah, That's, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Kind of silly how you could even. I don't know, it pisses me off. Um, so what? Were I they? wonder if she ever got charged though. Um, Weaver. Yeah. I had a brain fart for a second there. She doesn't have her own thing. Let's see. Maybe it says further down? Mm, maybe. Aftermath. Let's see here. Oh, right there. Well, that doesn't say about Sarah. It says that the surviving members of the Weaver family 
Well, I know Randy's still alive. Sarah's still alive. I know Sarah's still alive. Elizabeth's still alive. Um, I don't know about Kevin, though. I haven't heard anything about here. Uh, let's see. So this is what. Weaver was ultimately acquitted of all charges except missing his original court date and violating his bail conditions, which I don't think that would have happened that way, except they were the FBI and U.S. Marshals were under so much scrutiny. If they would have fucking railroaded him then, mm-hmm. it would have been bad. So they were like, all right, we're just going to only charge you because you didn't show up to that thing. Yep. So he was sentenced to 18 months and fined $10,000. Uh, credited with time served, Weaver spent an additional four months in prison. Kevin Harris was defended by attorney David Niven and was acquitted of all charges. Yes. Uh, Kevin Harris was later indicted for the first-degree murder of DUSM Bill Deegan on August 21st, 97, but the charge was dismissed on grounds of double jeopardy because he had been acquitted on the federal criminal char- trial on the same charge in 93. Wow. So that must have been the cop that was killed. Yeah, that was the deputy. Oh, the kid sh- shot the cop, but it must have been Kevin. Apparently they're saying that Kevin killed yeah. him. I was pretty sure the kid did, too. Yeah, it seemed like that's what they said, and I must have... Uh, In the documentary, I'm pretty heard. sure that, yeah. yeah. Well, well pretty the kid cool might have been shooting, but <clears throat> yeah. they didn't know at the time who was shot, so there's easier... You can't charge a dead kid, right. so maybe they put it on Kevin, right. and that's why they had to acquit him, because they kind of proof that it was actually him shooting. Right. That's kind of cool that they did the whole double jeopardy thing. Yeah. Now he got lucky there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Um... Defense counsels for Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris alleged throughout their 1993 trial that agents of the ATF, USMS, and FBI were themselves guilty of serious wrongdoing leading to the Department of Justice to create the Ruby Ridge Task Force, which delivered a 542-page report on June 10th, 1994, to the Department of Justice Office of Professional Responsibility. Um, yeah. But, but basically, this led... Oh, read that. Surviving members of the Weaver family okay. filed a wrongful death part first. Okay, they filed a wrongful death suit for $200 million. In an out-of-court settlement on August 1995, the federal government awarded Randy Weaver $100,000 and his three daughters $1 million each. The government did not admit any wrongdoing in the deaths of Sammy and Vicki. On the condition of anonymity, a Department of Justice official told the Washington Post that he believed the Weavers prob- probably would have won the full amount if the case had gone to trial. Wow! So Randy only got a hundred grand, but each of the kids the daughters got a million, got a million each. each. Yeah, three daughters. So, I only remember three daughters. Was it all? Th- yeah, he said three daughters. So where's the fucking third there's, daughter? There's the Alicia. Uh, whatever the fuck. Alicia, Sarah, and who? Who's the fucking third know. daughter? Because I don't r- recall there being a third daughter. I don't either. So maybe that's why you were thinking there was. Maybe there was. Let me click on Randy Weaver's thing. It's gonna. Yeah. Oh. All right. Um, his family received a total of three million one hundred thousand. So yeah, there must have been a third daughter. Four children. All right. Here. Oh no, he was Randy. Randy was one of four. All right. Yeah, but it's um, gonna. It's yeah. gonna say here. Right. You'd think it'd say. No. Hmm. Why does it not have, like, children? You know, it's like spouse and shit? Yeah. That's um, weird. This, is this Wikipedia? Yeah, usually on the right-hand side, it's got, like, you know, it's got, like, the family and all that shit. Let me put in... 
There you go. Sarah, Elizabeth, and Sam. Oh, maybe they gave the kid a million, even though he's dead, so technically it went to the family? But, but they said three daughters. That could be a typo, though. I know it says that, that but could be. there's no any indication that there was anything beyond the boy right. and the two girls. Right, right. So Maybe, unless well, there's a mysterious daughter that's just but then wiped you, from the So then where did that million dollar for Sam go? Because, I mean, he's dead. He can't. They're not going to put a million dollars in his tomb. That's what I mean. Maybe it went to the... Other two kids? Family. And yeah, like just a, the Weaver. Yeah, the Weaver maybe. family. Because maybe. the kid's dead. Uh, they were awarded 3100000 So one for each kid. And 100000 for him. Mm-hmm. Two, if Sarah's only 16, she's not ex- able to accept the money until you're of a certain age, right? Right. right. And it should be 18, I think. Yeah. Well, well by the not time, getting it until she Well, turned. by the time the, the trial and everything was over, she was over 18. Okay, so she could have got hers. Elizabeth was probably too young to accept yeah. hers, so that had to go through Randy. Sam's would have went through Randy. Yeah, true. So he maybe, basically maybe got Randy 2 million one hundred. And he had to give a million to Alicia. Yeah, and then, or it sat somewhere until right. she was of age to. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe it doesn't work that way with when you're handed that money through court. I know it's not taxable. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Either way. Weird. So this whole thing basically led to the. Uh, well, it didn't lead to, but it kind of. Intertwines. Intertwines with the Waco situation, mm-hmm. which then leads to. The Oklahoma City bombing. Correct. So, and then the next episode that we do of Think Tank, it's going to be the Waco situation. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to talk about this one? Otherwise, we'll no. wrap this one up um, and then... Yeah, see next. what... Type in what happened to Kevin Harris. Did we do oh, yeah. that or not? We were going to. Yeah, what happened to... No, that's no, not him. It's <laughs> definitely not a professional skateboarder. <laughs> um, huh. I don't know. It's not. Uh... Hmm. Doesn't have anything about it. Maybe he died. Fuck it. No, you'd think it's something would say that, though. Who's racing? I was just going to say that. Nothing. Sarah? 16, 10-year-old? Rachel and baby Elizabeth. So maybe there is. But that... So... There's a Rachel that's completely unacknowledged. Maybe that's the eight-year-old. No, because that would have been ten years old. So Sarah was 16. Maybe we're getting Sarah and Rachel, but why is no other thing talking about Rachel? Maybe she doesn't want to be talked about. But right there, right Rachel was 18. When she invited Ronson to shoot guns. Oh, that was in 2002, so that's way afterwards. Hmm. She's the daughter of Randy Vicky Weaver. Why is it not Maybe she mentioned? wasn't there. Maybe she wasn't there. That's why she got the million dollars, but she wasn't there. 
I'll search for exactly what you said to search for. Elizabeth, Samuel, Sarah. She, she's not listed as part of the family. Who the fuck is Rachel Weaver? I don't know. The plot thickens. And that's interesting that that would just come up. See, it's even got listed here. Sarah, Elizabeth, and Samuel. Was it like an adopted cousin of one of the kids? Yeah, like, I don't know, man. Or was it maybe like a... No, it couldn't have been. I was going to say it was like a child from a previous marriage. No, because she but wouldn't why get a million bucks. Here, I don't know, dude. And it said it in that one. What was the the website that we click on that Rachel Weaver one again? This one. Yeah, and then what's the website from? KXLY dot com news, North Idaho. They're That's the only F-A-Y-K one. FAYK Channel Two News. <laughs> it's got to be real then. Here, no, but then the Bonner County Daily B talks about. Sarah Weaver forgives moves beyond. Oh, you fucking pop-ups. Tell me, dude. I'll fucking declare war on ads. Alright. Um, Sarah Weaver 20. Okay. I'm just trying to find where yeah, anything is mentioned about up, yeah. Rachel. It Not could be like that the one daughter of uh, Ozzy Osbourne that he had before he was with Sharon yeah, yeah. that is not I mean he, he acknowledges but her but you wouldn't know it she's gotta be she's gotta be Vicky's kid though because otherwise she wouldn't have got a million bucks she's gotta be Randy's kid the only reason why the kids got a million bucks because they killed their mom is it? yeah hmm I don't know dude well, Weaver's, Balter's sister, Rachel, lives in... Here, let's click on this one. This one seems like... See, that looks like the same picture of Sarah. Sarah Weaver Balter of Kalispell, Montana, at the Redneck Cheeks store earlier this week. Um, Has forgiven the federal agent who shot and killed her mother and brother 18 years ago. But I still don't see Rachel. Um, moving down here. Oh, Rachel. Right there. Randy Weaver, who now lives in Colesville, also lived in Arkansas for a while. Walter Weaver's sister, Rachel, lives in there. Lishba, the baby Vicky, was holding, recently enrolled as a freshman in college in Arkansas. So, yeah. So, she is a, she is a daughter of Randy, but she just wasn't there. But everything that you read about Ruby Ridge or anything with Randy Weaver doesn't list Rachel as a daughter. Yeah, no. It says there's Samuel, uh, Sarah, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. So fucking weird, dude. So I wonder why, because the way that Google... Where would she have been, though? Maybe, what, she what was, maybe she's was older and moved out, dude. Doesn't say how old she is. Yeah, we're going to look for it now, because now I'm <laughs> fucking... But you know what I mean, though? The, the way Google's fucking... Uh, what is it? Higher, what is it? Algorithms. Because she wasn't part of the Ruby Ridge shit, and that's all we're looking for. She's not going to show up. Yeah, but I'm doing fucking. Pisses me off. So every time you, you look at Rachel, you get Sarah. This is Sarah, right? Or is this Rachel? I think that's Sarah. But look, there's a picture of two girls and Sammy. Where? Right in the middle. Right over one. Down, down, right there. Alright, so that's Samuel. That. Must, that must be Sarah, and that's Rachel. And this is before the baby. 
Yeah. So I'm thinking Rachel's older. Over oh, that's Sarah, and that's no, because they yeah. said Sarah was 16, and that's Rachel. We don't know how old. That was 24 years ago. So that Samuel was and Vicky posed with Sarah and Rachel. Samuel and Vicky posed with Sarah and Rachel. Rachel must be older. So maybe, that's what I keep saying. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm trying to fucking understand. Is this Rachel or is this Sarah? I think that's Sarah because she's the one that's this in the interview. Is Sarah? Is it? This is the girl that. Yeah, because in the thing we played, see, watch. Oh, she looks completely different. No. Um, here, to clarify. Let's see, even when you look up Elisheba. So it's, the, it's the same fucking picture of the same girl yeah. over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. It's very confusing. It is. But I think she's older the, and she wasn't at Ruby Ridge. This is what the girl looked like when, yeah. in the thing, yeah. the audio we played, if you watch the video. Yes. That's that's Sarah. So then Rachel's on the black hair. And she's older. This is Rachel. Yep. That's my guess. That's, that's my guess. Sarah. Or that's, this is this girl now. That could be too. And Rachel's just nowhere to be fucking seen. I don't think she was there. Who is this? That's the barefoot peckerwood. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Izzy Lyman. Why, why does Google put names that don't even fucking connect? I don't get it. Because it's all conspiracy to fuck with those dudes. <sighs> so fucking irritating. See, this is listed as Sarah Weaver. Mm-hmm. That the, the girl we're seeing in all these other pictures. Mm-hmm. Here's the family. Okay, there's Randy, Vicky. That's got to be Rachel, Sarah, and Samuel. Mm-hmm. So my guess but is... I thought Sarah like, was younger than Samuel, and they're saying Sarah was 16 and Samuel was 14. I don't know. See, it's very confusing. It is very confusing. Because there, he's older than whoever the fuck that is. Yeah. So is Sarah, that Sarah or that Sarah? I guess it's confusing. Yeah. Who was older? Which one? Rachel or Sarah? It makes more sense if Rachel wasn't there because she was older. Right. It doesn't make sense if Rachel was younger and right. not there. Right. I don't know. It's odd. Yeah. I didn't even know there was another one until well, now. Nobody ever mentions Rachel. Yeah. I'm guessing she wasn't there because she was older. And what the fuck happened to Kevin Harris? You know? I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, there's a movie? That looks like it. Looks like Polly Shore. <laughs> looks like Jim Belushi. Kirsten Dunst is in it. I wonder if she plays Sarah or... In, is that Randy Rachel? Quaid or Dan- Dennis Quaid? Must be Randy Quaid. Pull it up. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Laura Dern. Yeah, he plays uh, um, Randy. Made for television, 96. DVD release, October 4th, 2005. The Siege at Ruby Ridge. You want to go get that? Go to Amazon. Go hook that up. But first, go to the area, man. Click sponsor tab. Amazon banner. Go buy that DVD. You want to watch it. Maybe the movie explains who the fuck Rachel is. Oh, IMDb that shit. 
see if there's someone plays a Rachel. Let's have a look. See, <laughs> the plot thickens. I well, it is odd that you would never mention the fucking what a daughter, yeah. regardless of her being there. You know, yeah. Man, none of them said, "Thank God, Rachel wasn't there." All right, we have Laura playing Vicky, Randy Quaid playing Randy Weaver, Kirsten Dunst playing Sarah, Darren Burroughs plays Kevin. All right, now we get into Bradley Pierce plays Sammy Weaver. Not acknowledging <laughs> the fucking Rachel. She couldn't have been there. No. But it's unclear who was going into the... There's Bo Gritz. Bob Gunton played Bo Gritz. I don't see Rachel anything. Mm-mm. I don't know, dude. Maybe she was the girl at party. No, that's the guy at party. <laughs> Very bottom one. Oh. Jennifer Townsend. Uncredited. Mm-hmm. That's weird, dude. So my guess is she wasn't there. So then she had to have been the older one. Yeah. But yet the girl, the older girl in those pictures looks like Sarah. The one that was in the thing that we played. Right, right the YouTube video. It doesn't make sense, though. Which means, if that's the case, if that was Sarah, then Rachel was the younger one, and where the fuck was the younger one during all this? Did they? Yeah. Was she at Bible school camp? Because they homeschooled. So yeah. it doesn't make sense. She wasn't at a friend's house, because she wasn't about letting nobody out the house. You know, I'm going to do one last search, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Go here. Why is Dave's dick bigger than mine? Why are you Why are you searching that? It has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Someone put, where is Rachel Weaver during World War II? Where was Rachel Weaver during Ruby Ridge? Up your ass. None why would Google say that? <laughs> None of them have it. They're all the same shit. Nobody here. knows. Why does no, well nobody knows about Rachel? So who I the fuck would anybody have an answer for that? Did we ever see what? Oh yeah, we tried to see what this chick looks like. Elisheba, is that her nowadays? Yeah, that I could see that. Allegedly, uh, it looks similar to Sarah. The face, you know what I mean? But yet, no pictures of fucking Rachel. Yeah, uh, I'm still curious who the fuck this is. This has to be Rachel. I don't know, dude. It's weird that a girl that's part of this family just is not acknowledged anywhere. Well, there's certain members of my family that don't get acknowledged well, yeah, either. I understand that. But if we typed his name and put asshole behind it, we would probably find pictures of him. Yeah. Just I don't know, dude. It's weird, man. It is weird. But there clearly shows a, another girl and lots of videos, or lots of pictures. Yeah, so. as family photos, but... They're such shitty quality, you can't really tell. Because, like, this one... I wonder if I can zoom in a little bit. If we get a like, better shot of the face. Oh, Professor Taboo. <laughs> what the fuck? Can I just get a picture of the fucking... <laughs> Jesus, God Just show me the goddamn Christ. family tree. Do we have to fucking... Suck me sideways. Oh, Alright, <laughs> take a look at the out. face. This looks... Most like the girl that's in all these other pictures. Mm-hmm. But that girl looks different than 
the Sarah from the video video that we played at the beginning. So that would lead me to believe that this is Sarah. Sarah being younger than Samuel, but yet the Wikipedia thing that we were reading mm-hmm. said... So th- here's the thing. Wikipedia must be wrong on the age. Mm-hmm. Rachel was probably 16. Sarah was probably 10. 10. Samuel was 14. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, because it's so confusing and unclear, it got goofed up. So maybe yeah. Rachel had gone on to be in regular school or something and was gone or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Leave that picture up for after after this. I want to talk about something. Okay. So, I don't know. That's where we're at. It's all fucked up. ATF, uh, U.S. Marshals, well, they, FBI they fucked They used up. way excessive force for something that didn't, well, was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And uh, the fact that they fucking, I understand that's part of what they do, but the fact that they kind of set the guy up to begin with, he made a bad choice for mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. Uh, by sawing off the shotguns and all that. But I don't know. It's shitty that that's what their whole plan was. Let's fuck this guy over and then but, but get him to get inside. Everybody. You know, the fact that they do that, right. be leery of any fucking cop or they try to do any kind of deal. Because that's, I don't know, it makes you not want to... Yeah, it's cooperate. Weird. You know, and then excessive force on top of it. That just, yeah, no shit. It pisses me off. But yeah. at least, I mean, it sucks. Dude's wife's dead, and son's dead. Son's dead. Dog's dead. Dog probably would have been dead eventually. There's anyways. a dog right there too. Yeah, crazy. Fat, fat dog. All right, man. We'll talk some Waco next. Yeah. So next think tank shall be Waco. So thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. In the mountains up near Sandpoint, north of Naples, Idaho, eagles gathered there together to guard the truth so you might know. Down the road that followed Deep Creek, at the turn that crossed the bridge, federal marshals had the roadblock to mark the siege of Ruby Ridge. There the armies of the enemy Slayed your bride and only son Nearly killed your close companion When the shrapnel pierced his lung We stand with you, Randy Weaver Cause your Lord and Savior lives Wheresoever eagles gather That is where his body is That evening, late one August, you were forced to take your stand. There two strangers, as they trespassed, do first blood on private land. Governor Andrus, back in Boise, he let the enemy tell him lies. And from his anti-Christ decision, Sam and Vicky lost their lives. Federal agents, U.S. Marshals, and FBI men stormed the hill. All on false, fictitious charges, given orders, shoot to kill. 
we stand with you, Randy Weaver, cause your Lord and Savior lives. Wheresoever eagles gather, that is where his body is. of the enemy may surround us in the night. There's a host of heavenly angels hovering near, ready to fight. We stand with you, Randy Weaver. We are proud to call you friend as we gather here together to stand beside you till the end. We stand with you, Randy Weaver, cause your Lord and Savior lives. Wheresoever eagles gather, that is where his body is. Wheresoever eagles gather, that is where his body is. And there you have it. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, man. Um, so... What'd you think? Ruby Ridge. You listened to the uh, audio package at the at the very beginning of the meat of the episode, then Dave and I discussed it, and uh, ultimately what this leads to next is the uh, Waco incident. Uh, the Waco, Texas incident with David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. That will be our next episode. That is going to be next week. And uh, kind of doing a three-part series here of three different incidences that all lead to the finale, which would be in uh, two episodes. But anyways, so this week was Ruby Ridge. Next week will be the Waco incident. Um, what'd you think? Share your opinion. Share some comments, concerns, questions, whatever. Send them my way. You can email me, thinktankpod at gmail.com. Or if you're on Twitter, at the Think Tank Pod. Um, once again, if you want to do some shopping, I imagine there's Ruby Ridge um, documentary on uh, on Amazon. But uh, first, go to thearyman.com, click the sponsor tab, then the Amazon banner. Buy whatever you're going to buy; cost you nothing extra, and Amazon kicks us back a small percentage as a thanks for sending you there. Uh, also, PhoenixBeardOils.com. Uh, when you're checking out into the promo code D2R, and you'll get 10% off your entire order and a free sample. You can't beat it, so why wouldn't you do it? Um, other than that, yes, next week, Waco incident. The following week, the Oklahoma City bombing incident. And believe it or not, all three are connected, and we'll kind of paint that picture over the next few weeks for you. So, hope you enjoyed today's episode, and uh, we shall see you next week for... Waco.
me mm-hmm. 
entertainment. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes. Give us a rating and leave us a comment. We'd really appreciate it. Your word of mouth is our only advertising, so please do us a solid. Share us with everyone you know. Thanks for listening.